Episode 169 Above Ground Podcast. It's my life with Kathleen Muir. Disclaimer. The host of this podcast, Timothy Patrick and Will Foley, are by no means medical professionals. However, having lived experience with mental illness themselves, they have gained useful perspectives on common mental health issues that some of us struggle to overcome on a daily basis. By sharing their stories, they hope to create connection. By creating connection, they hope to help you find your purpose. And through purpose, we can all begin to build the foundation for positive mental health. This is Above Ground Podcast. Coming at you live with real conversations about mental health from the peer perspective, it's time for Above Ground Podcast. Now your hosts, TPP and Will Foley. Hey, what is up everyone? Welcome to episode 169 of Above Ground Podcast. Coming at you momentarily. First of all, huge, huge thanks to Sarah Lynn and the Hanger on the Hudson and Lizzie and the Makers and Curious Comet and Raisin Head. I'm talking about last Wednesday's incredible For the Love of Stephen Benefit at the Hanger on the Hudson, which was on International Overdose Awareness Day on August 31st, that last Wednesday. It was an incredible evening. We had an awesome night. Shout-outs to Ling and Marcy and and Sarah and everybody and everybody that was at the hangar. Uh, great time. Uh, lots, of, lots of great conversations. Also, we just finished up the Summer On Central Concert Series. That was sponsored by the Linda and WAMC and Nippertown and the City of Albany, New York, here in the 518. Thank you to everyone who came out there, especially Tyler and Michelle came out and hung out with me. They were there with me for, for quite a while on a Saturday, and uh, we had an amazing time, and it's been an amazing summer. Uh, September 8th, Above Ground Podcast, well, Tim will be at Spitzy's Harley-Davidson on Central Avenue for their final bike night of the season, and we will be there. Above Ground Podcast will have a resource table there for the final bike night of the season at Spitzy's Harley-Davidson on Thursday, September 8th. Go to Spitzy's uh, HarleyDavidson.com and check out their website and find out about their bike night. And uh, again, this is September, so... It is Suicide Prevention Awareness Month, and we are dedicating the entire month, just like we do every year on this show, to interviews with survivors of suicide loss, attempt survivors, um, people in the field who are specifically involved in some sort of suicide prevention initiative or part of that and our interviews this month are incredible and we have our actual first repeat guest ever for this month and that is Valerie Brasseau, um, our Canadian friend from Toronto who is kicking ass all over the place and she is our first repeat guest and she will be on later this month and she has an incredible story, she has an incredible book of poetry that was inspired by her, like that's inspired by all her experiences so you have to check that out too on Amazon but this month is dedicated to suicide prevention and suicide awareness and and all that 
And uh, you can check out our Instagram feed. Uh, Tim and I are starting to get better at at making some videos and just getting a little bit more involved with our social media stuff because it's hard sometimes to keep up with all that. And this month especially, we're going to be talking a lot about suicide and what suicide prevention and awareness is and what it isn't. And now, episode 169, Above Ground Podcast. It's my life with Kathleen Meir. Hey, what is up, everyone? Welcome to Above Ground Podcast. Above Ground Podcast, because you can't serve below. What up, TPP? Happy Easter, man. Did the bunny come to your house this morning? Um, I, I saw some um, some dirt and some footsteps, so it's quite possible. I have not um, yet searched out any eggs or any kind of uh, glitter or magic, so no, no. It's still up it's... in the it's still up in the air. Ah, uh, TPP, it's always sunshine and rainbows wherever you go, buddy. <laughs> yeah. Wherever you go. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so we are on Zoom, man. So that means we have another interview, and we are joined this morning. Um, and you know what? I should have actually asked Kathleen. How do I pronounce your last name? Is it Meyer? It's Mir. It's Mir. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a bad, bad co-host. Bad co-host. <laughs> bad co-host. I like got married and got a shorter name, but <laughs> it's harder to pronounce. <laughs> No chocolate bunnies for me. <laughs> we are joined this morning by Kathleen Meir, who is the co-curator of the Lemonade Stand 3. Um, the I'm Possible Project Lemonade Stand 3 is a book of 20 inspirational stories from people who turned lemons into lemonade. And if you follow Above Ground Podcast, you will have heard the creator of that, Josh Rivdal, uh, was on a, an episode as well as Oh, there we go, Timmy. Thank yeah, you very Josh, much. Josh, Josh was just on recently at 144, Rivedale, and then uh, we had um, Carl Waggett at 114, and I believe Rob was in there too, Yeah, right? Rob was in there too, yeah. Rob was number 94. Yeah, we've had several of the authors, and I actually had emails out to all the other authors that have emailed me back, so if you're still listening, I'm coming to you at some point. We just kind of got we kind of got caught off guard by a lot of other people too coming after us for interviews and it's been awesome and we've had some cool ones. So Kathleen, thank you for joining us this morning. I'm really interested in your story and how you got involved in in the lemonade stand and and how you're doing. So how are you? I'm doing all right. A little nervous, but <laughs> I, I'll I, it'll, it always starts out this way and then I really find my my groove. <laughs> There we go. That's all we ask. Like we said before, we don't have to talk about anything you don't want to talk about. But you you came through something and felt the urge to, to want to help people. So how about you take us on that journey a little bit and, and how you've come to where you are now? Okay. Um, I was uh, diagnosed with anxiety and depression in 2004. And I primarily kept it to myself. I didn't want people to feel sorry for me or think I was weak. So I would tell close friends or family sometimes got work I, like at my job, like a year in, I told them like it whenever I felt comfortable and safe to do so. Then in 2013, I met Josh Rivadal. He was performing his one man show 
the reason we were there was actually because my daughter wanted to go. Her, one of her therapists was on the panel for the Q&A. And I just thought I'm bringing my daughter here. And then I'm watching this show and Josh is jumping around all over the stage, happy, singing, telling his story. And I'm just watching and he didn't said, oh, asterisk, I have, I live with depression. And I was just like, whoa, he lives with depression, but he's all over the place here, happy and blah, 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 you know, and he's not afraid to say it. And I was just like, I want that. I want that freedom. So I was actually one of the people that went up to him after his show and started talking to him. Then we connected on Facebook and we just had like a com- ongoing conversation. And he became for me a, a mentor, a supporter. He really changed my life. He changed the trajectory of my life because I wasn't ashamed to share my story anymore. And he gave me the opportunity to share it in the first book that he published with the in the Impossible Projects series. Title of it is Cat Second Lease on Life, since my name is Kathleen. It was a little bit of a play on words and It was just kind of supposed to be this funny-ish, tongue-in-cheek title, but that's what it became for me. And I started pursuing learning more about mental health, suicide prevention. I took workshops. I attended seminars. I read books. I, I totally, like, jumped in because I really wanted to help other people. I struggled when I was first diagnosed. I couldn't find proper help uh, because I was not suicidal. I had a, my daughter was seven and my son was five and it wasn't an option. And as a result, I was going to the emergency room and they kept sending me home and they kept switching up meds. And like I, my first problem was I was sleeping all the time, couldn't stay awake. Then I went through insomnia and it was just such a rough journey. And I will, one thing I wanted and hoped for was if I was ever in that position, just to be able to tell somebody it's going to be okay. You're going to get through this. It, it's a process, but you're going to be okay. If, if I would have heard that, I, I wouldn't have been so scared. I was just really scared. Do you think some of the factors to, you, you know, hesitating to, to come forward with some of the things you struggle with and, and being scared is the stigma behind all these mental illness and mental um, health in general? Somewhat. Yes. I, it also, I think it had partly to do with my own ego. <laughs> I grew up like playing sports, very competitive. And I thought like I could pull myself out on my own, but I didn't even I didn't know what I was dealing with. And I always took like pride in this, like tomboy, having strength type of persona. And I didn't say anything for a year prior. And I think it even started earlier than that. But I, I didn't say anything to my husband until like I literally could not function anymore because people want to know why. And for me, that's complicated because I had everything I wanted. I was happily married. I had two kids. We had a house. There was, you know, and like people 
automatically think there's got to be something wrong in your marriage or something this, something that, but that wasn't the case. Just really, I felt like I don't want to talk about this because I don't want people trying to judge my life or me. Yeah, that's, that's powerful. I, I, I fully understand that and know exactly where you're coming from with that. It's that whole, you know, that, that belief about ourselves and and how we perceive others are going to perceive us, I guess you could say. Yes. That's, that's self-stigma and that's, that's, uh, that's stigma all the way around. I mean, there's, that's, that's the definition of it in real time as Kathleen just described. Kathleen, thank you so much for sharing that with us and thank you very much for, and thank you very much for trusting us with that because that that's that's huge that you come on on this and and talk about these things man these are real conversations that people need to have because people need to hear this and i'm so grateful that you're still here and so grateful that you're willing to share what is one of the things what is what was one of the first things that you learned about yourself on this journey so far of recovery uh after I wrote my after I wrote my first story with Josh in the process of that I was dealing with negative self-talk pretty really heavy I trusted Josh enough to say like what do you call this like this use of voice that's going in your head and blah 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 and he's like oh that guy's an asshole I call him fear and he's like I do it anyway I push through And that's what I did with my story. And because of how much I felt excited about myself and everything like that, I made a challenge to myself and I still hold myself accountable to it, that if I'm offered an opportunity and the only thing that's holding me back is fear, I have to do it. That's it. Which brings me like here, you know, this is my first time doing a podcast, but this is something I wanted to do. And I know pushing through, I'm going to grow from this. So I'm always pursuing opportunities to grow and continuously searching out education and different skills and tools and stuff like that. That's so awesome. Because that's what we're all about here is on tool is about tools, aren't we, Timmy? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I, I, I share a lot of the things that you're saying, like to this day, you know, just because we're on, you know, 150 or whatever episodes we're at, you know, every week, I'm like, Oh, boy, I, I got to listen to this. And I got to hear myself <laughs> talk. And like, did, did we did we screw up? Or, you know, did we put good information out? I mean, it's, it's a, it's a whole checklist for me. Um, so I totally, totally get that. And one thing you said earlier, I want to just touch on quick, because I feel it's super important is, um, you know, sometimes you were saying about like the depression and, you know, people have this perceived um, notion, well, if she's married, maybe it's something to do with her marriage or whatever. But, you know, the, the thing is, is sometimes we don't even know, you know, sometimes that either anxiety creeps up and, and, and if we're lucky enough to be mindful and stop and think, we don't even know sometimes what it is that is, is inside of us pushing to get out or, you know, holding us back. It's, it's hard for us to really put into words. So I think that's an important um, takeaway from this for sure. Definitely. And um, both my kids live with this as well. And like, that was a big hang up for my son too, because he didn't know why. And that's what like 
at school, counselor, everything wanted like it, I I think like it doesn't matter the why at some point doesn't matter. Like sometimes like I do that to myself, like, oh, I woke up, like I have my anxiety symptoms, I'm feeling nauseous, my hands are tingling. Why? And I would try to figure it out, rack my brain. It, but now I've been able to let's just jump to the tools I know that work for me. And let's figure it, you know, like, let's skip that whole worry part. And let's just start going into the tools at work. One of which is like writing. Writing has been the biggest one for me. I was just going to ask you that just because like Will said, we're all about tools here and sharing tools. So if, if you could share maybe like two or three tools that, you know, work for you, that would be awesome. The first one I came across was uh, writing. I attended uh, a Survivor's Day uh, with AFST New York, and I didn't realize that it was for um, the people left behind, like survivors who've lost a family member. And there was a workshop. It was a breakdown in the afternoon where, you know, people who lost a sister or brother, they went into a group or a parent friend, fiance, stuff like that. And then there was a writing group and I thought, okay, I fit here the best. And I took that and it was me and another person that were survivor, attempt survivors. And people in the room really found us to be powerful, to be able to give some perspective on the mindset of how someone could make the, the decision to take their own life as and as we know um it's not one thing that usually does it it's usually a whole host of things that cause somebody to to make that decision and and what kathleen is talking about is international survivors of suicide loss day which is the saturday right before thanksgiving every year on the calendar i've been taking part in in this program for the last four years um I actually am one of the facilitators of several of the rooms when we break off into breakout rooms. And it's a it's a wonderful healing experience. If if you're in a position to to feel comfortable enough around it, because it is a very heavy day of of people sharing their experiences of loss and, and how they're coping and stuff. So it's it, it can be very, very heavy on people if you're not ready. But it's a wonderful experience and Kathleen is is part of that and it's amazing to hear like people who've been involved do this what are the aside from writing you said you were an athlete at when you were younger have you found your way back to any sort of exercise thing this physical this physical activity play into your tools at all on for for walks we have like two dogs so I, I walk the dogs it gives me like some time for like reflection sometimes I just need to walk I, like if it's rage if I'm dealing with rage something's happening and before I used to just like fly off the handle so I know what really works is just to move and so like I feel like Bill Bixby like walking along and it's like just slowly like the Hulk is like slowly transferring back out again because <laughs> yeah it's a really toxic characteristic it really is I know the harm I can do that's only 
because of everything I've been through, how those words can, what you say can really stick with someone forever. And yes, they do. I kind of, I tap out and it, that's the safest thing for me. And it's safest thing for the people around me at that time. And then once I come down from it, then I'm more rational and then can have a conversation about what was bothering me or what happened. That's like my, yeah, like writing and going like for vlogs. And I really enjoy, I live in Florida now. Um, enjoy going to the beach because it really, it captivates like all five senses. I know grounding. So like I run my hands through the sand, bury my feet. I walk, I, you know, smell everything. It's, I can like walk my through myself through it to calm down as well. That's like, uh, cause I just uh, returned to therapy last summer uh, because I was going to start doing EMDR. That's actually my safe place is the beach. That's awesome. You mentioned safe with the, you know, that's the safest thing for you to do when you were talking about the anger and rage. And I personally feel that it's, it's one of the strongest things that we all can do is to to be able to 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 stop and notice and say i need a time out i mean that is that is pure strength right there thank you for sure it took it's taken time but oh, yes look, i know and, <laughs> like, and i i do the same thing and that's the only reason why i know it's 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 definitely a safe choice but it's like the strongest and smartest choice that you could probably ever make in your life <laughs> Yeah, because I don't want to hurt people. I right. really don't. And I'll do what I have to do for me and for them. Because I do need to, need to feel safe as well. Right. And sometimes we often, after we do have an outburst or say something we don't mean, we, we often put that back on us and feel that shame or guilt. And then we, yes. and then we just pile it on ourselves. Like, I wish I didn't do that. And, oh, I could have done better. So then you have, you know, those anchors along with what you're already trying to pull. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's tough. But that was like the, what she explained was mindfulness, like in real time. To, I know. She it was do that, perfect. Man. I was like, I have glimpses of it once in a while. Like I can pull myself back from things. Like I'll notice if I'm getting ready to say something stupid now where before i might not have but it's it's a an, an act that takes practice <clears throat> and it's not always the easiest practice but wow that was that was awesome kathleen thank you very much for sharing those that's you're welcome i know you had before i think through facebook we had we had talked a bit i don't know if your husband rides or you ride or you both ride motorcycles too right um my husband rides i'm the passenger and yeah, yeah we we did the afsp ride for suicide yeah. a few years ago and exactly like i look back from when we had talked and you had said wind therapy and that's like really what it is for us yes for, for me like i say to him like i want to fall off the face of the earth it's not <laughs> that i want to kill myself but i just want to disappear for a while not not be anybody's anything you know and my phone's in the trunk yep. oh and, yes yeah so <laughs> it's just really this time and we freedom. cherish it's that freedom. time together too yeah we, it's That's just a awesome. day for us and we go he, he knows all the routes and stuff in florida so yeah i'm really just along for the ride but again because the beach is like my 
safe space sort of thing. I, I kind of, we tend to go that way a lot because <laughs> I, I just need to walk and even just smell the salt air or see the water. And it's just like, oh my God, I can breathe. It's, it's such a gift to have to know something that works. I'm, I'm part of me is jealous that you have the beach at your disposal like that, because I've said this, <laughs> I've said this to Timmy before. I, I absolutely love the beach. I know when I'm riding the struggle bus, if I go to the beach on vacation, cause we usually go to the beach on vacation every year. And if I go to the beach and don't bring it back and it doesn't stay with me for a couple months, I know I'm in, I know I'm in the shitter because right. usually it can sustain me for like if we go to the mid-July, like I'm sustained until the fall and when the seasons start to change and my little cliff goes. But <laughs> if I if I can't bring it back, I know I'm in the shitter. Exactly. Yeah. I give myself two weeks to kind of like get, pull myself back out if I'm struggling. And I, I give myself two weeks. And if like end of the two weeks, I'm really no better. When I lived in New Jersey, I would call my psychiatrist and like we would have me go in living in florida was a little bit more challenging with that i still see my psychiatrist in new jersey um but i didn't have a therapist down here and i did not want to return to therapy because my first experience with my first therapist it kind of got bad near the end and i was just like i am never going back there yeah it, it was it, been, it was 14 years before i just went back last year to therapy but i was just so i, I knew i was in the hole i knew what was wrong with me this time and i knew, and i called a friend from down here i volunteer with his nonprofit and i asked him if he could refer me to somebody and he did. Good, good. I'm glad to hear that. I I started going back to therapy within the last year, year and a half. And unfortunately, my therapist seems to be having some issues. So I'm not sure what's going to happen. But I'm hoping, I'm hoping I don't have to find another one because I really like her, actually. You had a hard time with therapy the first time. You have a not so uncommon thing that happens. A lot of people have that issue with therapy can you explain without getting into too much detail what what some of the issues were with your first set of ther with your first therapist that way people can sort of understand okay yeah in the beginning he was part of my psychiatrist's practice and he did help me like he for like i want to say maybe the first year but then like we got into where like sometimes he was saying this is what you have to do and I was like no you know like it, some a person you know in my life that it's a hard relationship but it's you know that person is still really important to me I do love them and he told me I had to either accept them as they are or walk away and I was like no neither <laughs> like that's not that's not an option for me not with this person some people you can but with this person you can't 
I can't. I really can't do it. Well, if I, but every time I was, it got to be almost every time where he was talking more than I was, which like now through training, I know like if you're doing all the time talking and you're the practitioner, that's a problem. But I did not have the education then. So what I, like I would tell him something and then it almost felt like he was trying to one up me and it, it just started grating on me and I started um, wanting to pull away. But every time I tried to pull back, there would be some sort of trigger and then I would go back to him again. And then my last day, he uh, was trying to make me angry on purpose. That was around the time 2004 was like when anger management was a was a big hot topic or whatever. And I thought I had anger management issues. So he's trying to make me angry to see what that looks like. He calculated wrong because it didn't go into that explosive halt type of scenario. It went into shutdown. And I said, today is my last day. Like I'm done. And he's like, you've tried to leave before. You've always come back. I'm like, nope, not this time, not coming back. And we sat there kind of in silence looking at each other. <laughs> like, and I, you know, and he's like, well, you still have time. Do you have anything you want to say? And I said, well, thank you for the help that you've given me. But today's my last day. I'm done. And that was it. That was the last time I went. And I, because I'm stubborn, I would not go back no matter what it was, because I, I just knew, I realized now that I hit a wall with him. Like I could, like, I didn't know enough to, okay, we're at a point now where I need to step up, step up or level up move on to somebody else to take me on further so I just kind of like plateaued at that level for like for nine years until I met Josh and Josh is the one who really helped me to understand that I did have more control in this that I could make decisions for myself I could speak up I had a voice and um when I told my psychiatrist about him and how I felt about this plateau, he said that the teacher presents himself when the student is ready to learn. So like I started calling him, oh, you're my Jedi master or whatever, you know, we just have like a silly friendship. It kind of is like a little bit of everything. It, he pushed me out of my comfort zone but just enough. It was like he baby stepped me all the way until I felt comfortable on my own. And he would bring new opportunities, new challenges to me. And because Josh said, you should do this, I would be like, okay. You know, there wasn't like this question of should I, shouldn't I? It was like, Josh thinks this would be a good idea. I'm going to try it. And that was what really held me um, and when I went to therapy this time, I did lay down like what I didn't want to talk about. And it was kind of funny because like after three in, we were talking about the thing I didn't want to talk about. <laughs> but she did respect it in the beginning, you know, and we didn't go there until like I naturally led us there.
yeah, I feel like that should, uh, that's kind of how it should be is, is you leading, you know, the, the whole thing. And I didn't realize that Josh had that you, you and Josh had that connection that big of, he didn't, I didn't realize he had that big effect on you is what I should have said. Um, so kudos to Josh. Thank you, Josh, for that. Yeah, That's, for uh, sure. He, he helped me like, with my, with my son. I saw in my son traits of myself as, as a kid. And I know I had suicidal ideation as a kid. I mean, my son was five and he got mad at us and was like, where are the scissors? Like, I want to die myself. And I'm like, where is this kid getting this from? Like, we don't, like, I know what they watch. We watch, like, Caillou and all these, like, little, you know, Scooby-Doo. We don't watch any, where could he get, you know. And then at 11, he expressed it again. And he also had his first panic attack then. And so when I met Josh, I was said to my husband, Jason needs to see Josh is so like, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. He needs to go. He needs to hear this. They and Josh had like, we've gone out to dinner with him a couple of times. My son knew who he was. Like, we didn't really have a big discussion that like pay attention or whatever. We just let Josh do his thing. But I, I, it was definitely, it helped me. And I really wanted my son to have that too. That's, that's great. I mean, that's great that, that, Josh was there to help. I think, uh, you know, you had, you had touched on something I was going to ask, but I, I feel strongly that we all need to be our own advocates, you know, at times, and we all need to, we all need to be our own therapists at times, not saying that, you know, you shouldn't go see a, a trained professional because you should, but at the same time, you need to, you know, you, you need to take your lead as well. And maybe, you know, if, if you want to call it boundaries or whatever, but, but know yourself, you know, dig into yourself and say like, this is what's happening. And then let them try to, you know, take what they can and help with that. Because the more information that you're able to give them, I, I would think the better that they're able to help you. Definitely. But because of Rob and like the bunker room that I manage with Carl and uh, I learned from him and other first responders about the EMDR and so when I was going, said I would just make a decision to go back to therapy, I, I promised myself that I would at least be open-minded about it, like, because I'm really not good with new things or change. So, but I was, I thought I'll be open-minded and see where it goes. That's exactly, that's just the approach I've taken through this and my therapist has been really good because it's it's an option, but we don't have to do it all the time. So have you have you done EMDR? Twice, yes. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Can you can uh, you tell us a little bit about that or like the first thing we went through was like I watched a video about it, like this cute like little video, and then she gave me um I didn't want to do with the eyes so uh, there's like paddles you can hold in your hand and they like vibrate back and forth kind of thing and um there's headphones you put on and it beeps in the ears so you end up you connect them so like this hand's vibrating this the ear is is making a noise and then same thing on the right hand side and it's kind of like this balance out thing so like we did that 
we she wanted to give me a paper so I could write down like 10 things <laughs> like that kind of I might want to do for EMDR. I was just at that point still so vulnerable, still so depressed, anxiety, everything seemed hard. And I was like, whoa, 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 no, no, <laughs> like that's this is too overwhelming. I I know, like I'm not to this point yet. And so we put it aside and then we started talking again. And there was a scenario that came up where she said, like, this would be good for EMDR. And I said, can we do it that way? If a situation comes up in our session that you think would be good for EMDR, can we put it down? And then can we do the, the EMDR and give it a try? And that's the way we did it. So there's only two instances, but it was so helpful. It helped to like close the, some of those tabs in the past. And it also built confidence because you have to pick a phrase that like kind of that's your phrase, like you're, I guess you're setting your intention. So like the one time was I can stand up for myself. And the other one was I can trust my own judgment. And now like when certain scenarios pop up, those words just automatically come into my head. Like, no, like you're you can trust your judgment on this just because somebody else doesn't see it that way. You can still trust what you're seeing, that how you perceive it. And it's been very, I've, I feel like I've become a lot stronger that I've moved, that I actually needed this, this part of therapy to be able to move on to the next thing and what I want to do. That's awesome. I'm, I'm glad that, uh, thanks for sharing that for one, but I'm glad that you had that option. That's a good option to have for sure. It's a, yeah, it's, it's, it's heavy. Rob had like given me a heads up, like that it's a heavy day, you know, yeah. and he's only, he crashes when he gets home. So I, and I did both times I came home and fell asleep. <laughs> I've heard that. Your brain is doing so much work. It's pulling from the past and like, you know, making the connections to the present and you, you follow it through and kind of get yourself through the situation and out of it back into a safe sort of space again. And they all like something we should, we could all try to use. Yeah. That might be worth checking out. Cause I've had that experience with acupuncture too, where, like you get those needles inserted in spots and then the, you go home and you're just wiped out just because it's releasing all this energy. The one, like the one time I was just completely all locked up, even like just going there, knowing what we were doing, going to do. And we like went through the whole process and like there, at the beginning, she asked, how do you feel? And like a 10 and we went through all of it. And I was at an eight when we finished <laughs> So then we had to go through it again. <laughs> and I'm like, what's your God? But we did. And something that was like at a 10 after we processed it through the second time, it was at a three. And now I can talk about it without getting all upset or angry or, you know, it, it doesn't that, that it doesn't hit me the same anymore. It, I've been able to move past it. Timmy, what else you got, man? 
Nothing really. I was gonna just maybe ask about, um, you know, how she came 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 across like you know Carl and and Rob to, and helping out with the uh, you know she mentioned the word curator, which is a word that we use and we we like to hear. So um, I think I think you know Will has said this millions of times before, but I think um, you know being in service to others is really what helps us you know continue and to further our own growth and healing. So I guess, how, how did you hook up with um, the PTSD bunker gear for your, for your brain? Someone uh, sent me an invite to watch one of Carl's shows at the end of January of 2019. And the stuff that he was talking about, it's geared towards first responders, emergency services, military members, but anybody can be, can listen, can be part of the bunker room. A lot of the traits he was des describing sometimes they were kind of some of not my so wonderful traits. You know, there was like, oh, I remember one where like, like patience and, you know, when you don't have patience and somebody's talking to you and you're trying to rush them along and it hit home and goes like to my husband, I was, I've been doing it a lot. I felt awful because I've been doing it a long time. <laughs> like, he because he, he likes to tell like the whole thing like instead of like just the like the meat and potato the, the bare bones of it he goes through the whole and sometimes I am I'm doing something else and I'll be like the point the point the point just tell me the point or like running my hand and then I start going like kind of like speed it up speed it up like gotta go gotta do this gotta do that and then I was like oh my god I do that I'm awful, like this terrible. <laughs> well, I actually apologized to my husband and said, this is something I'm going to work on because I don't, I, hearing it described by somebody else was just like, oh my God, that's so awful to do to someone. But it, in, so Carl just had kept me coming back because he's just, the way he explains it is very easy to understand but it's very deep at the, at the same time. He has like a, that dark humor, which I kind of have. And it, I joined, it did join the bunker room. And he was like, he kept telling people to, to get to the bunker room, like send me a friend request. I'll send you an invite. Then I'll let you into the bunker room. And I said, you know, they can just search for the bunker room, right? And just join. And he was just like, would you like a job? <laughs> I'm like, sure. So it was like in April of 2019, I became an admin for the bunker room and I'm still an admin today for, for the bunker room. Oh, and that's where I met Rob. Rob uh, had joined and I had turned to Rob a few times, like, because I was stuck in my head a little bit in the beginning. Like, I'm not a first responder. Like, okay, somebody's asking a question. Like, I'm not a first responder. But, and like Rob had, would jump, be answering those questions and I'd be thanking him. And then he's like, it doesn't matter if you're not, a, you know, not a first responder. And it, we, we've become good friends, Rob and I. For the, for the book, the, the Lemonade Stand 3, I when I had to write my paragraph about myself, I wrote it and then I actually asked Rob to read it because I wanted to know, am I doing right by the first responder community? 
Am I, is this, you know, am I doing right by them? Because that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to be of service to help. Am I doing right by the, by the people that did share their stories with our, within our book? That takes a lot of self-reflection and ability to say, Hey, am I doing right by you by asking for that kind of feedback? And that's important as a peer to ask for that feedback too, because you know you want to know that you're doing the service right. Thank you. Yeah, um, Rob had just started out doing presentations, and he had asked me, "Can you look through these notes?" So we had like a reciprocal relationship; like we were comfortable with each other. It we just fell into place kind of quickly. That's how just how it kind of happens. It happened with Josh, and then and Carl. It's just like I, I know my people and when I get find them, like it's just an, an instant connection there. I feel it's awesome to be able to continue this connection since everybody's been on the podcast now. <laughs> 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 yeah. we've got all the connections now all the all the tentacles of the arms of the lemonade <laughs> stand like are are available are are <clears throat> been on the show now gosh i can't talk to me go ahead <laughs> no i'm just gonna i was gonna ask kathleen do you um do you know steve yachik or did, have you met him i'm through? friends with him on facebook okay yeah because he was he's he uh He's in that whole kind of group as well. And, and um, we met him and he's on uh, as well. He's on the podcast. Uh, number 126 is uh, okay. Steve. I'll definitely take a listen. I do listen, but yeah, I'll, like I do search out, like uh, I did re-listen to Rob's. I listened to Rob's when it was first released. And then I listened again recently. Um, but as far as the, the book, what happened was, it was Carl who inspired me with it because he talked about the stigma in the first responder community, how a lot of people don't talk about it, about how his firehouse turned, you know, iced him out, you know, and I thought if Carl's willing to tell his story, he had mentioned at one point he had written a blog and I read it and I was like wow this is really good I didn't know that he wrote it missed his spouse would check it then he'd rewrite it again <laughs> it was like a whole process which is why he jumped the podcast because writing wasn't really his super strength but I got the idea like okay if Carl's willing to share there's got to be other people out there willing to share so I knew Josh had printed at, put out the lemonade stand series and the unprofitable project books so I went to Josh and said like what do you think like stories like by first responders for other first responders and and he was like yeah let's do it so then I like ran the car on I'm like Carl like I had this idea and you know first responders helping first responders and he was like yeah so we set up like a like a three-way call and I thought I was introducing them to each other, but I ended up in the middle of the, the sandwich. And because Josh is on the road, he travels going to different high schools, colleges. At the time, Carl was doing the Facebook Lives three times a week, the three podcasts a week. So I was the one who 
went out trying to find authors, who, who, first responders, emergency service people who were willing to share their stories. And Carl, I, the Ella had, let me put it in the bunker room. Uh, I run a like a fan page for Carl on Twitter. So it, it was posting to there and there were people who reached out that way. But Josh said, that's not going to be enough. You really are going to have to like put the work in. You're going to have to hustle. And that's what and that's what I did. I, I just believed in this so strongly that I did. Yeah, I was like, I felt I helped a couple of people put their story together. They didn't know how to word it or I checked it. I had some people, um, one of the authors, Andrew, the first time he said no. And then I went to him again and he said, but I just have a run of the mill PTSD story. And I said to him, as far as I know, everyone that I've met, there's no such thing as a run of the mill PTSD story. Everybody has different experiences. So he said, can I think about it? And I said, okay. And then a couple of days later, he was like, I'll do it. And he did. And it, yeah, so it was really cool. You know, like the people that I met, like Andrew now is like a really close friend. He was just down here in Florida in the fall. We met up together and it felt like we were family. That's how close of a relationship it was. I met his wife and his daughter and he met my husband. And it's not just this book. Okay. I collected the stories. That's the end of it. I made, we built relationships. It's about connections. Yeah. Yeah. We've, we've come to find out um, the same thing. It's, it's about connections. It's about, it's about this. It's about telling your story. You know, it's about telling your story and possibly inspiring somebody else to tell their story, you know, and then their story can do the same. And, and somebody can take something from that and learn something and just go and, or, or just not even tell their story, but just have the, the courage to go you know what, I'm going to do something. It may not be tell my story. It may not be write a book or it may not be this, but I'm going to do something. So yeah. that's, yeah, that's that's what it's about. It was because like every time someone said yes, like I was running down, you would have thought it was like, oh, this is where the competitive comes in a little bit. Because <laughs> like, I would just be like, like, yes, got another one. Yes, like we've got two. We've got, you know, like it was just like, and my husband, he completely supports what I'm doing. He believes in it too. And so like having that in a partner in my, at home and even my kids too, they were really supportive of everything that I've worked on and they kind of rallied, we rally each other. I couldn't believe like some of the stuff that people carry, you know, one of the couple of them were like uh, police officers who had a, a shooting incident where they sh shot like somebody like someone who robbed a bank or took somebody hostage or and they were able to take the shot and the portrayal outwardly is that 
okay, like that's part of their job. Okay, that's like run of the mill. That's their day of, you know, a day in the life of a police officer. And to learn that they, this doesn't go away. Like there's no pride. There's no pride in taking someone's life. And it's a last option. It's not a first option. It's a split second decision. And they have, they go on with their training and it, it's called, I know um, the one author referred to it like as a moral injury, what you would do in your line of work that you wouldn't do in your everyday life. And I know he still lives with it now. And it, that is something people don't really, I didn't know, I didn't under, realize at the same time until I started doing, working on this book. Wow. Yeah. It's, um, you know, everyone's got their, their, their trail and their story. So, but we would like to thank you for, for sharing yours with us today and, and sharing your time with us. You're welcome. Yes. Thank you, Kathleen. Don't, uh, Kathleen is not only the co-curator, but she was actually an editor for, for this lemonade stand three. Cause if she did all those jobs, she was definitely editing people's words and thank you very much for all that that you put out there today it takes an incredible amount of strength to say what you had to say and and to and to wear that on your sleeve timmy and i usually end up the show with three questions so i'm gonna have timmy get into that with you right now okay do you have a favorite or a least favorite word um my favorite word is hope it actually same my life a couple or and it's gotten me to the next day where I know that things can get better I believe that when I made my attempt I was in my 20s and I I didn't see how I could get out of what the situation I was in and I realized like the element was hope that I didn't have it, it didn't have it. But with my mental health diagnosis and not being suicidal, like I wanted to get back to my kids. That was all I wanted. I wanted my family back. And that was hope. I That got me like through the roller coaster days that I had a goal that I wanted to get back to my kids and my husband. And, and that's what kept me going. How about a least favorite word? Do you have a least favorite word? I contemplated this one. Um, and I realized like should. Should is should is a because I I've instead of having hope and all these things in front of me, should I back myself into a corner? Carl did a thing on like should, like those absolute words, like he called them cis. And I really like hung on to that. Like in therapy, we went through those absolutes. And when my therapist is asking, I was like, Sith, Sith. And, you know, just kept saying that. And cause I, I have this like, oh, I should be able to do this because of this, this and that, or I should do this because it's the right thing to do. And I should, and it, and I've really paid the price for that. I've had the pat that's brought on the panic attacks. And so locking myself into this like word and having it that much power over me has been a, is a detriment. All right, there we go. Should 
is her least favorite word. That's the mm. first for that one. But yeah, <laughs> Tony Robbins said, "Well, you could just should all over yourself." So it's I right. ever since I've heard that phrase, I get I get what should the connotations that should holds for a lot of people, and myself included. Um, I have changed this question up numerous times now, based on our conversation. So I I wanted to know. What is one myth about mental illness that you didn't realize was a myth until your own diagnosis? That people, the actually about people thinking that I was weak, like I, that has not been my experience. I'm sure there are people who do, who do see it that way, but for me, like that is not how I, I've I never received that, that fear of not ta- sharing my diagnosis. Like I locked myself up in like in a closet for nine years with this, keeping it to myself. And it was because I didn't want to be perceived as weak and people never real, not the people that I'm friends with confided in people I've met, they don't see it that way. So that's something, again, like the self-stigma, like you mentioned before. Wow, awesome. Thank you very much for sharing that. Yeah, that was a good one. Good one. So if there was something that you could do or that you would like to see done to mental health as a whole, what would it be if there was no restraints? I'd like to see it taught in elementary schools, starting K through 12 and going through 12. I have uh, someone I met, I haven't met him in person, but he he lives in Australia. He, he's the founder of Mindful Australia and he teaches in the primary grades. He uses the emotions from inside out and like the colors and he's teaching these name this feeling and being able to state that, you know, and that's not, you're not talent, talking a child into like you say mental health, people won't think you want to talk about suicide, you know, and, and that's not the case. Like mental health, like it's a continuum. It's not everybody has mental health. And there you go. That- I love it. You just you just said it. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> I, I think we all need I think we need the vocabulary. And it's you know, I was 33 when I was diagnosed my son and my daughter, they were like 11 and 12, 13. And we were able to get them help. Then they felt comfortable to come to me. And we were able to get them the help then. And I figured if I can get this help for them now, when they become adults, they're going to have coping skills. They're going to have the vocabulary. And they're going to be able to make decisions for themselves about on their mental health, whether they need to be, if they want to go back to therapy, what they need. I mean, my son, he always just wants a hug. Even now, he'll just like, that's, that, that's what does it for him, you know, and everyone's different, but I really think that you need it in the younger grades because like I've, had where when my daughter was in high school her friends like one person their family they, they didn't believe in mental health 
and she was struggling with mental health. It is it's like that in within like the the Filipino. Um, I, yeah, I I know different cultures look at it in different ways. Yeah, and I've which makes it hard to have that conversation. Which makes it hard to have that conversation. And unfortunately, the school let her down, and she did make an attempt, but she did she she did call somebody or tell somebody, and that person told their father. And their father called nine one one. So thank goodness for that. Yes, and and we did that. We had one of my son's friends. The same thing. She confided in my son that she had taken a bottle of pills. And at first, he was trying not to tell me. Then finally, he like she took something. She took something. And we did. We called nine one one. We helped. And if my son was quiet, she wouldn't have survived because she had taken extended release, Tylenol, something like she would not have woke up the next morning. So that's wow. something where if somebody tells you something, you take it seriously and you and you kind of get them to the help. Wow. I agree with all that. I think Will would say the same thing. That was uh, an excellent, excellent answer. And, uh, you know, get, get the conversation started. It's what we do here. Kathleen, thank you so much for being here. It's been You're awesome welcome. having you. Thank you I for have... having me. And again, thank you for taking the time out this morning to talk to us. It's been awesome having you on. Um, and uh, thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Timmy, uh, another great interview, man. So until yes, next sir. time. Be well. Be safe. Be above. Thank you for giving us a listen. New episodes every Wednesday. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, you can share, rate, review, and even subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. Other ways to support the show? Follow us on social media. Share the content. Share our episodes. You can also buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com forward slash above ground pod. For further concerns, show ideas, or just to say hi, you can email us at abovegroundpodcast at gmail. Once again, thank you for listening and supporting mental health. Keep the conversation going and stay above.